Hi, this is Dave Shu. For those of you who don't know, I'm a family physician, and once a week I do a podcast called Medical Dads with my co-host, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician from Ottawa, Ontario. Stu and I talk about all things parenting, from the ridiculous to the sublime. So check it out and make it part of your week. Now available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And at the time, uh, in grade four, there was one rule and that rule was you cannot cannot dare you not speak a word of chinese at school hi welcome to unique stories a podcast where we talk to people about the stories that make up their lives where they've been what they've done where they are heading and more i'm your host david shu thanks for listening All right. On tonight's episode, we're going to be talking with Mr. Kenny Ho, who is the Department Head of Business Studies at St. Elizabeth Catholic High School in Vaughan, Ontario. He teaches accounting, economics, business, information technology, marketing, pretty much everything to do with business. And most importantly, him and I go a long ways back. I, I've known Kenny since he was... Uh, first, in grade four. Since grade four, when he first arrived in Canada. Correct. And then we ended up going to elementary school together. And then we went to high school together. So I actually knew him for a long time. And then we kind of lost touch for a while. And we reconnected in the last couple of years. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to go all the way back to that period of time when he first came to Canada and talk about what it was like being a new immigrant here. Because those of you who know me know that I'm really interested in in stories of change and stories of people changing places and migration. And I really want to get into like the personal stories of people of, you know, what was it like for them to show up? Because a lot of us, we hear about immigrants and we see, you know, refugees on TV, but if we don't hear their actual voice telling us what it was like, we sometimes lose sight of it. And it just turns into like another statistic. So thank you Dave for inviting me to your podcast. And I feel really honored to <laughs> at least share my part of the story. Now that I am a educator, I also want to make changes to, to the lives of people. And um, telling stories is obviously one of the ways that we can make it impactful for students or adults or anyone who's out there thinking about um, reflection of their own learning, their own um, ability to grow uh, further in life. Absolutely. So why don't we just go right back to the right back to the prehistoric era, like before you came to Canada, like you came to Canada, to the best of my recollection, at the beginning of grade four, which I think would have been like 1986. Is that right? Correct. Um, more specifically, it was um, July, the summer of 19. 87. Now that okay. kind of reveals my age too, <laughs> but that's okay. We have no secrets on this show. We have no but, secrets. But that's okay. Um, okay, so July 1987, you guys came to Canada. So let's go a little bit further before that. So before you came to Canada, where did you, where did you guys live? What was your family situation like? Like, what was the situation there? So we were uh, in Hong Kong, and at the time, many um, Hong Kong residents, I would say, and those of you who are also from Hong Kong will, will probably um, understand this because uh, back um, in Hong Kong in the late 80s, many parents of small children 
are thinking about moving abroad. Um, mm. The destination of uh, country of destination were Vancouver, um, Toronto, or maybe United Kingdom or England, and then Australia as well. Mm. Uh, many Hong Kong, um, I guess, parents would come to Toronto because Toronto resembled a lot like um, Hong Kong. There is like Chinese community. Obviously, at the time, there wasn't a lot, but a lot of immigrants were going to either Toronto. If it's Canada, it's either Vancouver or Toronto. Mm -hmm. So my parents decided to come over to uh, Toronto because we had um, or we have relatives here who um, were here since the uh, 70s for schooling purposes. So what did your parents do for a living back in Hong Kong? So my dad was a social worker and he... uh, I don't actually know a lot about it, but um, he visited, um, I guess, those who had uh, drug abuse um, and they're trying to get away from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what's it called, but um, he did social working in the prisons, Um, visited, uh, I guess, inmates um, as well as as well as those who are on um, drugs and trying to get all of drugs and they, he visited uh, the homes. Um, so that's what he did. My mom was just um, secretary at a um, large company. Okay. And I don't know what, specifically what that is because she, my mom doesn't really talk about her work, but yeah, that's what uh, my parents did. Which is actually one of the hallmarks of the Asian family where nobody talks about the past and the stories get kind of buried which is one of my pet peeves and one of the reasons we need to talk about these things on our podcast. And you're right, because I think, um, I don't know if it is a respect thing or is it a uh, cultural norm thing, but many, many parents don't really talk about what they do. Mm. Maybe they're embarrassed or don't feel um, that their job is any significant to mm-hmm. anyone. Um, okay. I guess if you're a doctor, engineer or stuff like that, you will kind of tell um, others that that's your job but you know when when you were just working a nine-to-five job then you don't really talk about it mm-hmm. I, I think so so they were they had these jobs now were they really busy like was what was your standard of living like in Hong Kong as a family do you remember um, vaguely um, my parents went to work um, they didn't they didn't do overtime or whatnot Right, but uh, they went to work, they came home. We had a nanny, um, or I don't know what the proper uh, name for it. I guess guess nanny would be the- the Housekeeper. Housekeeper, whatever you call it. Um, They call it in Hong Kong, It it sounds exorbitant to like people here in Canada hearing this, but we have to remind people that in Hong Kong, this is kind of the norm. Like a lot of people have hired help inside the house. Oh, you, you have to, because, because where else are you, because when you work from nine to five and Hong Kong lifestyle, it's not working from nine to five. You're actually working maybe nine to nine. And mm-hmm. I don't think my parents work from nine to five. I think many, sometimes they will stay until like six or seven. So you do need someone to pick up the kids. You do need someone to cook at home. You do need someone to, I guess, take care of um, grocery shopping and, and just care of the house and whatnot. So it is quite normal for a working um, family to have a housekeeper or right. a nanny. Right. 
So overall, you would say that your standard of living was decent, like you had hired help around the house and you guys weren't struggling or anything. We were pretty good financially, um, I guess, because my dad's job as a social worker, he kind of worked for the government. And there's a saying that when you work for the government, you like, that's the best job you can get. It's right? an iron rice bowl. Right. right. Yeah, it's it. a, yeah, it's an iron rice bowl or the metal rice bowl, as they call it, too. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess in that sense, my the affordability was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, financially speaking, like we were OK because um, at the time, the house was kind of almost paid off, I guess. Mm-hmm. So there's no mortgage payments on it. It's just um, living, right? And standard of living was was affordable at the time. Now you can't. Now it's very expensive, but at the time it was very affordable. So you guys lived in an apartment building or a house? Yeah, we lived in an apor- apartment building and most Hong Kong most residents would live in like apartment buildings. Uh, okay. Two bedroom, I, go, I would think, I think it was maybe 600 square feet. Which was which is pretty good size in that in that in comparatively it was pretty good size. Right. Two bedroom and well if any anyone's ever been to Hong Kong, they'll know what I mean. So so at some point, and you alluded to this already, your family decided to come to Canada. And I guess you didn't mention directly, but this is like in the lead up to nineteen ninety seven, right? So correct. At some point uh, people were looking into the horizon and there was this political situation where at that time, Hong Kong was a British colony, but they had signed a contract with China and the, and the colony was going to revert back to Chinese control in 1997. So we're about 10 years before this now. And your family's thinking about that. And that was what my, uh, my, that was my father's train of thought, right? Mm-hmm. To give it 10 years for us as children to get accustomed to a new environment. And at the time, uh, I guess he was in his, I guess, I don't know, like you have to, I have to do the math. I don't, I don't even know. Maybe his late thirties and early forties. He it's probably was, around the age we are now because our kids yeah, are probably, small. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So like he could, if he were to leave at the time, it would be the best time to do so because um, it w- he, he was still young at the time. So he could find a second career or not at the time. So that was the choice, right? To come to Toronto. Um, number one was because uh, my aunt and my uncle are here. And then um, everyone came to Toronto for some reason. I guess the cost of living in Vancouver was a little bit more pricey. Mm-hmm. So Toronto mm-hmm. was, the, was the ultimate choice. Okay. So then how did, this, how did they tell you this? Like that you're just sitting around, you're, you're about to go into grade for they're like okay kenny like uh, we're go- we're moving to another continent say bye to everybody like how how did this thing get sprung on you, you remember <laughs> yeah very very interesting that you asked because uh and this is a good interview for me because i, I actually get an opportunity to think back and recall mm-hmm. what had happened i remember one day i think uh, either my mom or my grandparents uh told me like indirectly because the concept of immigration was not there, right? I was only in grade two or grade three. <laughs> so w- immigration was a word that I didn't know. Like, what does it mean to immigrate right. well, to actually, somewhere else? Well, emig- emigration is the word yes, you should emigrate, be talking about. Yeah, emigrate, emigrate, to immigrate to Canada, to yeah. emigrate from Hong Kong. And so um, I think my, my grandparents told me that I was uh, going to Canada. And um, I didn't know the concept, but then I was excited. And I felt very excited. Because, and I'll tell you the truth, um, my, 
my academic grades in Hong Kong were not the greatest, were not very good. Like, I think I was in the B region, like mm. B and C region. And right. so for some reason, I wasn't catching on with academic grades, maybe because of my laziness of not doing anything when I was a kid. <laughs> but at the time, um, I actually wanted to start fresh. Mm. I can remember that because my grades in the second semester of grade two, and I'll tell you why it's grade two and then I came here in, uh, for grade four, I, I finished grade two second semester and I think all my grades were like um, B's and C's. Mm. So I did wanted to uh, start fresh because my dad, um, being an academic that he is, he was very strict uh, with me. Um, on grades and so I thought uh, rather than being yelled at for all this thing I I could start fresh and it would be so good to get a second chance right mm, interesting I had no idea yeah and when I when I um, knew that I was coming here I was actually excited because my because my my aunt and my uncle uh, were here so they sent us photographs of like their backyard, their front yard. I could still remember the picture mm -hmm. that I think my grandmother showed me. And it's just as simple as like the driveway and the walkway, right? The walkway that we have here. And my question to her, I remember vividly, I asked her, so that piece of land, it's all theirs? And then her <laughs> grandma said, yeah, the whole piece of land is there. I'm like, wow. Like I was living in a 600 square feet house and then like, there's no private property, right? There, you got a backyard, you got a front yard, you got a sidewalk, you got to ride a bike on your property. I, and and all your B's and C's get wiped away. <laughs> yes, and that was the most important, right? So at the time, I was really extremely excited because at the time, um, I didn't have many close friends. Think about it, when you're in grade two, you know, there are a couple of people that you hang around with and there wasn't really a connection outside of school because right. we all were bused to the school. So we didn't really meet up over like weekend or stuff like that. So my connection to them was only at school. And so I, I, I can't say I missed them because I don't really know them. You would have been a little young to really mm -hmm. like, have that attachment level. Correct. And uh, I was excited to be here and in uh, the <laughs> August of 1987. So had your dad ever visited Canada before he decided to come? No, it was just uh, by pictures. It was just <laughs> by telephone call at the time. And he was just, um, he just came with a leap of faith. Incredible. So then did they, did they, they considered some of these other countries also, but, they, but Canada won this competition easily. Correct. Because of the, of the relatives that we have mm -hmm. or we had at the time right mm -hmm. um that was living here did your parents ever show any like sense of you know unease or fear about doing this or did was the image they projected to you like you know we got this under control you'll be fine we'll all be fine i think uh so speaking from an adult right yeah in retrospect i think they there was obviously a fear because coming to a new country, what do you do, right? You, mm -hmm. you, the only thing you can take with you are your furniture, which was very um, old at the time, right? Like we brought um, some furniture from the apartment and then they brought cash over, right? They brought mm -hmm. money over and um, career wise, they didn't have a pathway set for them. Some mm -hmm. families, they, 
they have like uh, their international companies had um, connection here. Right. So their job was already set, but my parents didn't because my dad being a social worker, and I don't think at the time in Hong Kong, you need a license to be a social worker at in Hong Kong. So when he came over here, like he tried to find their job in social work. I remember that because that's what he always liked to do, mm-hmm. um, but he couldn't find it. I think he found one, but it was not paying very well. And um and being a person from uh, New York and uh, from another country and coming here, you have to know the laws and the way around and him coming here, he doesn't even know where the streets are. So how do you visit other people's homes, right? And your English was not the greatest. Yeah, I, I was wondering about the English. Like some people from Hong Kong have a extensive English training. Like were your parents pretty fluent in English? My my dad was uh, quite fluent in, in his English. Um, uh, both speaking and writing. Mm-hmm. My mom wasn't. So I remember uh, when she came over here, she just did jobs, odd jobs here and there mm-hmm. um, until later that she found something like in an office where I think some, someone had mentored her um, into the job. So she was lucky in that. She had help from other people. And so did my dad. I think my dad also had help um, because at the beginning when he uh, was looking for a job. Somebody found him a social worker um, job. And then later on, he met another person who found him a finance, uh, work at the bank. So, and mm-hmm. then afterwards, he stuck with that because being a social worker, and as you know, in Toronto, being a social worker, you really made no money. So, so let's take it to August now. You're leaving, right? Do you remember what it was like leaving Hong Kong? I, I had mixed feelings, I think. Uh, I was excited, but then when I was at the airport, and I still have that picture at the, when I was at the airport with my family, you know, when you line up as a family and you take a picture of that and and a photograph of you leaving, uh, passing mm-hmm. the gates. Yeah. Um, at, I think at that point was when I realized that um, I was leaving for good mm-hmm. uh, because my all my relatives were there. And I was leaving for good, but there was also a sense of excitement because I'm coming to a new country called Canada and a new city called Toronto, which I saw the front yard and it was amazing. <laughs> and I, I like that. Did you have in your mind, like how long did you think it would take before you would come back to Hong Kong, even just to visit? It never occurred to me. It never occurred to me that I was ever going back. Because at the time, I also had the concept that a plane ticket cost a lot of money. <laughs> so I, and my family was just average, right? I, right. I didn't think I was going to go back for at least 10 years. And let me tell you this, it was only last year, after 30 years, <laughs> that I had gone back to Hong Kong. Only last year, that's after amazing. 30 years. <laughs> that's, that's quite that's I don't even know what to say about yeah. that. I, I think you've told me that and now yeah. hearing it again, it's like crazy. It it it, it was like because it was even when my parents left Taiwan in the early seventies, they did go back a few times here and there. Like they didn't pull this 30 year stunt that you did. <laughs> I pulled a 30 year stunt and I'll be honest with the audience out there. Uh this is I guess to tell my part of the story. Sometimes you hear classmates, they, you know, they go back to Hong Kong, their parents go back to Hong Kong. I think, I don't think, I think, how should I say this? 
it's not because we don't want to go back to Hong Kong. Deep inside, I think it has to do with finances, right? Yeah. Because going back, you know, the ticket, plane ticket at the time was, I think, $1,500, and then The same you have to price also, as it is now. <laughs> right, at the time, right? Yeah. And, and so going back, you have to think, okay, uh, houses in Hong Kong are very small, so you have to find a place to live. And then you have to find, like, it's almost like a vacation. You don't mm-hmm. go back ever for free, right? You got to pay. Right. So I think from a financial standpoint, we didn't go back. And sometimes I feel embarrassed to say it in front of a big audience that when I was younger, I didn't go back. Because many of my friends, if you remember, like in at, at our high school, many, many of our classmates went back every summer. They went back, right? They went back. Mm-hmm. But I, I think for us, it's financial reason. Your grandparents are still there when you left, right? Um, my grandparents were still there. Uh, and then afterwards they came over to join us. Okay. After a few years, after a few years, they came over to join us. Okay. So, and then my aunt came also came over to join us as well. All right. So, so, so you get on this plane, you fly halfway across the world, you land in Canada. What do you remember about being arriving here? When I first came to Canada off the plane, I felt a breath of fresh air. And I yeah. mean that literally because in Hong Kong, I could remember like you can't, you can't even see the clouds. Yeah. It was so, it was smog, right? Everywhere. Right. And so like there was a sense of oxygen in my lungs. <laughs> That's still a thing. Most, most Asian immigrants or people from China that come to Canada, even today, they tell yeah. me like, oh, the air, the Kong Chi is so good. Like they love it. <laughs> right? You live here for a while. You never think about the Kong Chi of this place. Yeah. But it was really, and then uh, when I first came to Canada, we landed in Vancouver. We stayed at a friend's place because uh, I, I think we, my dad wanted to visit some friends in Vancouver and we stayed there and I felt great because it was a new environment. Like I got to sit in a car rather than a public transit. Um, there were trees, which I didn't know like trees existed. There were fruit on our trees uh, because um, my at the friend at the place where my uh, we stayed, we there was a, a peach uh, tree. Mm. So we actually picked peaches from the tree and we ate it, <laughs> and that was amazing for me because I didn't know what the tree was. I I couldn't. That was new to me, so that was very excited. And then afterwards, three days later, we flew to um, we came to um, Toronto. We stayed at our aunt's. Um, my aunt lived on victoria park and finch one of those apartments and i live my parents like the whole family lived in the living room we slept um on the floor in in the living room so how long did you do that for we came in august and then and then maybe for a month until we found a place john mills and steels we found a place we found a rental uh, we, okay. we found a house and we rented that because I had to go to school in September. Right. So we we moved there and my dad was so careful in uh, selecting the house because it had to be close to where uh, we lived. Um, the house is actually, uh, the house faces the school. So so he he made sure that it was in proximity to the house. <laughs> and I remember that because he... And why I mentioned this is because the whole 
concept of coming here, emigrating from Hong Kong, immigrating to Canada was because of us. It was for our education. For the children. For the children. And he made sure that uh, we got the best education possible. And so his concept of getting the best education possible <laughs> is to be proximate to the school. I'm going to watch your B's and C's walk into that school and come out as A's. <laughs> and and that was like, that was his point. And I, up to this day, I appreciated that because he wanted us to be very close to school so that the time that it took us back and forth wouldn't waste time for us to, you know, be on a public transit. And that was his whole point. Mm -hmm. Right. I do remember that you live very close to the school. Yeah. So that, that was, that was the point. That was the main point. And when I, when I first came over here, I was put into an ESL class, just like um, the other kids who were also (laughs) uh, immigrants um, to Canada. And um, we, we clung together. (laughs) So, this is where I jump into the story, right? Because this is this is the beginning of grade four, right? And we were we were students at St. Maximilian Colby Catholic Elementary School. It's a tiny school that went defunct, so it doesn't even exist anymore. It does not exist anymore. And about fifteen years ago, I think it closed down. Yes. But at the time we got went there, it was a new school. It was like an up and coming community with a lot of uh, young families and immigrant families, right? A, a pretty nice Correct. neighborhood to live in, and there were like two little elementary schools side by side. Like we're right next to the public school. So this is a neighborhood with a ton of kids to be able to support this. Yes. And I had just started at that school the year before you in grade three. Right. And grade four, we start first day and we're like, Oh, there's like, I think there were four or five new people from Hong Kong in our class that year. So I was not one of them. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, when I first came here, um, as I mentioned before, we lived in the, we rented a place. Um, uh, we, I, my brother and I went to Cliffwood public school. It's on Don Mills and Steels. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and we, and then later on we bought our house, um, right beside St. Maxwell and Colby. And so, um, my schooling at St. Maxwell and Colby started, the day after March break. And I remember oh. that. And I remember that clearly because um, when we bought the place, uh, the one on right beside St. Max, I roomed around St. Max and Kobe. And I could still remember stepping on uh, ice, like <laughs> stepping on ice because I was just playing around the school and there, were, there was ice. And I was like skating around the, the school. And that's why I remember it was March break because I got a week to room around. And I think I did that almost every day. Like I just walked around. Like I was just interested, curious as to what school would be like for me in the next, um, I guess, many years, right? From grade four to grade eight. So what was school like for you at your first school, the first school you showed up in? So the first, the first school that I showed up in, uh, it's almost the same um, environment. Um, I remember... I guess clinging, clinging with all the other immigrant uh, students. <laughs> this is a theme. Uh, yeah, this is a theme. <laughs> uh, because we spoke Chinese, right? We couldn't speak a word of English. We only spoke Chinese. So we got in trouble most of the time um, for not um, 
collaborating with the other classmates and not speaking the language. Mm-hmm. And I feel I feel that at the time the teacher should be a little bit more sensitive because I couldn't speak a word of English. I could not speak a word of English. So how could I communicate or collaborate with someone else who I couldn't communicate with, right? The only people that I could gravitate to are those who spoke my language. Mm-hmm. And so um, I did that and I still remember them. And we clung together as a group of Chinese kids playing in the playground and a group of us sat together uh, during class. Uh, that, was, that was school, Cliffwood Public School. Right. And then you, so then in March of that year, you switched to the Catholic school. Yeah. Kind of the same feeling. Same, same. Clinging to some of these other, I guess, now that I think, I think there were, there must've been two or three other guys in our class that year that were new to Canada. So it was, uh, I remember them. Could I say their names or should I keep it private? You can say whatever you want. (laughs) So I remember who they um, were, Um, Felix, Julian, Maxine also came uh, into the group. And I think there were other um, students from uh, at the school, but they were in grade three. Right, right. In a different year. Yeah, in a different year. And some were in grade six and seven. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the, the people that I, I hung around with were Felix, Julian, and Michael Doyle. If he's listening to this, hi, Michael, if you're listening to this. So what do you remember about being in Canada at that point? Like, so you're clinging to these friends and none of you speak much English. Like, it must be a very difficult, like, situation to be going, trudging to school every day, have to deal with this and then come home and repeat this. And I have to, um, I guess, mention the late Mrs. uh, Lucy Yuan. She was, I don't know if you remember her, but she was, she was the um, ESL teacher and she was very, very strict. And at the time uh, in grade four, there was one rule and that rule was you cannot, cannot, dare you not (laughs) speak a word of Chinese at school. (laughs) And I think Felix, Julian and I and Maxine uh, and Josa Lee. Yes. And Josa. Mm. We, we, uh, we stuck to that. We hung on to that. Um, and we spoke no word of Chinese, even right. between us, even um, after school, we never did. So I think that really helped us um, to get, uh, I would say, like accustomed to the um, other students as well, mm-hmm. um, to be a little bit more, I guess, uh, be part of the class rather than the so-called ESL group. Mm-hmm. Because we, as we progressed, um, our English uh, speaking uh, improved. She actually, Mrs. Yuan is probably Cantonese herself, right? Yeah, she was. Uh, and, um, and that's why her biggest thing was for us to get uh, assimilate. fit in. Yeah, assimilate. I was going to say assimilate, but I, I don't know if it's appropriate to say assimilate. So now you're an adult and you, you've, you've had decades to reflect on this and you've seen your teacher and you see other students come through. And I know that lots of students don't just speak English, right? What's your thought on that? Like, do you, I mean, it sounds like you appreciate what Mrs. Ewan did for you guys, but is there, an, is there a flip side to this? Looking back, uh, I really appreciate the, the gesture, right? The, the rule of not being able to speak um, mm-hmm. Chinese because it did force us to get 
assimilated um, mm. into the regular class. But at the same time, um, uh, we were pretty diligent enough to understand what was going on in the classroom. Now, um, speaking like on the flip side, had we uh, were had we not been diligent, um, we would really had missed out on school because we would be afraid to ask the questions in our own language. So uh, to the, I guess, uh, audience out there who are educators as well, you have to be um, cognizant of uh, what rule you impose onto uh, kids or students mm -hmm. or whatnot, because sometimes if you, um, if they can't communicate, they will just lose track of school and not get interested in school. We were pretty good. I, I think we, we were uh, pretty good in that, like, if we didn't understand, we would ask each other um, in English, in broken English. But um, there are some students now, and I feel that uh, some students need to speak their own language because there's a whole um, research on the, the value of speaking their own language so that their cognitive skills get improved. Um, with their own language and mm. it's not um, just speaking it, it's not the language that they're worried about it's it's um, building onto their way of thinking right mm. now I kind of from what what I remember is because my family's from Taiwan and we spoke Mandarin and mm -hmm. this is getting into a part of like late 1980s early 90s and you're not the only family and you guys aren't the only couple of families coming from Hong Kong. There's a ton of people from Hong Kong showing up in Toronto at this point, right? Like everyone wants to avoid communist China. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm sitting here saying like, telling my parents, like there's all these new Chinese kids in the class, but I don't know what they're talking about because they speak this other language <laughs> called Cantonese. Right. So I remember feeling for sure that I'm not really connected to this group. This, this feeling went on for me all through high school. Right, because when we got to high school, there was a lot of Cantonese speakers in the school. Right, and I was always the, I was like, I was always like, why do I speak this Mandarin? Thing? Yeah, my, you were the oddball. <laughs> my parents were like, don't worry, all of China speaks Mandarin. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, everyone here is speaking Cantonese, right? Uh, yes. Uh, fast forward 2020, it's the other way around. It is the other way around. It's now. the other way around. But at the other, at that time, it was a thing. Like, I remember going grocery shopping with my parents. And if we happen to see another couple, like a child speaking Mandarin to his parents, I'd have to point it out. Like it'd be so unusual. Like, hey, those people spoke Mandarin. Those people spoke Like you never saw it in the school, right? Like I was in, like you talk about feeling isolated or whatever. I also felt kind of oddly isolated as the only Mandarin speaker in that class. There is a, there's a moral to this. And uh, I think uh, whatever goes around comes around. There's no definite in this world because um, the Cantonese era went from the late 1980s until maybe the uh, mid of 2000. Yeah. So it went on for a little bit, right? And then now if you look at the whole population, there's no one out there in Toronto who kind of yeah. speak uh, Cantonese. Right. I mean, it, it, it gets into the larger like historical thing that happened right like mm -hmm. so so the communists took over in 1997 and after a while a lot of people from hong kong were like you know what it's not too bad i can still make money in hong yeah, kong and people yeah. stopped coming and they started going and many people that came actually went mm -hmm. back 
Yeah. And we start to see a different wave of immigrants, right? Like, so a lot of, right. them, I'm sure a lot of students you work with, patients I work with, a lot of them are from China now, right? From mainland China. 90% are uh, from mainland China. Right. And they are doing exactly what we did. Like they clung together, they spoke to each other in Mandarin. <laughs> and I'm sure there are teachers that are a little bit frustrated that they are speaking their own language. And I must say, if you're a teacher out there who is listening, the reason why they're speaking in their language is not because they, they want to embarrass you or be, it's because they, that's the only way of communication. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to understand that. And as a immigrant teacher, uh, I understand, I, I understand it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't, and I appreciate them just speaking, uh, just not too loudly, right. Uh, to each <laughs> other so that you don't embarrass the, uh, yourself. Um, among the class. Mm. Well, I mean, that was a really good introduction to, you know, what your immigration story was. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Oh, well, no think, problem. Anytime. I think, I think we should probably, I mean, I think what we should do is we should probably bring you back and talk a little bit more about what happened afterwards. Like now you're in Canada and what was the schooling like and what was your experience of adjusting to actual life in Canada like? And we can do that on our next episode. I am very excited to tell my personal story because um, I think telling a personal story will actually be um, a life lesson for Mm. others. All right. So until the next episode, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.